0: The 32nd Psalm, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, this is David talking, over a year he kept silence, that is, he did not confess his sin. He attempted to cover his sin. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. David is saying when he wouldn't confess, it even affected him physically. Day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moistures turned into the drought of summer. David, if you know something about his life, he was a, a man that was a refreshing person. But this time in his life, he was mighty dry. He didn't have a song. David could pick up his harp and write a song, a psalm, and David was, is called the sweet singer of Israel, but not now. David's lost that spontaneity about him. David's lost that refreshing. David's lost that joy. David says, there's a hand that's heavy upon him. He's under pressure day and night, and his moisture is like the drought of summer, he tells us. And then verse 5, he says, I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall everyone that's godly pray unto thee in a the time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. And shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Now, in the 51st Psalm, we'll come there and bring the message. Psalm 51. And we mentioned this morning that oftentimes when we learn the story behind the Psalm, it makes the Psalm more meaningful. And. uh, more helpful to us in applying the truths of it. Some of the psalms we have to read and study and learn the history of God's people to understand where they fit as the psalm this morning that went back in the days of Hezekiah. If you notice, it's Psalm 51. Just before you read this psalm, you'll note that it gives us the, the title, gives us the setting of the psalm and tells us something in detail about Psalm 51. It says it's the Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he'd gone into Bathsheba. This Psalm is David's confession. We read Psalm 32, and David tells us a little bit what happened to him when he failed to confess his sin. David is my hero of the Old Testament. David, I guess if you'd pin me down to say my favorite Bible character of all the Bible, it would have to be David. I have great admiration for the Apostle Paul in the New, but David, man after God's own heart, a man that had so many qualities that's so admirable in his life, and yet here's David committing some of the worst sins that a man can commit against his God and against his fellow man, and even against himself. David is confessing the scarlet sin of adultery and murder and lying. And after a night of trying to get the woman's husband intoxicated to the point that he would not use good judgment, you know the sordid story. I never read that section of God's Word without just my heart just sort of aching for David. David, the the sweet singer of Israel. David, the mighty man that he was, the great leader. David, I repeat, committed some of the blackest sins in the catalog of sin. I speak tonight on the subject, the most expensive things in the world. The most expensive things In the world. Now, of course, the most priceless thing known to man is the soul of man. Our Lord said if a man could gain the world and lose his soul, it would profit him nothing. So if the soul of man is the most precious, the most priceless thing we could think of, that which destroys the soul would have to be the most expensive. I speak tonight on sin. David is confessing his sin. David has discovered the high cost of committing sin. He's discovered how costly in different areas sin is. Always difficult to bring a message of this type. You pray God will use his word to speak to our hearts. Verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God, According to thy love and kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? That verse oftentimes, sometimes I should say, is misunderstood. David was not saying the conception itself was sinful. David is simply saying when he was conceived in his mother's womb, that sin nature was there in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, thou God of my salvation. David understood he is guilty of, of murder. David knew he had blood on his hands. He didn't touch that man, but he knew that his motive was to kill that man. And he is saying, deliver me from blood guiltness. O oh God, at least he's guilty of manslaughter. Thou God of my salvation, my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O oh Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. David confesses his sin after perhaps a year and a half of covering, trying, I should say, to cover his sin. The 32nd Psalm, those who have joined us by recording, we learned a little earlier reading it, that David said when he kept silence, that is, when he failed to confess, when he set out on the course of covering and refraining from admitting and acknowledging his sin, he tells us what happened to him. He said, the hand of God was heavy upon him. David said, my moisture turned into the drought of summer. said, I became so dry, lost my song, lost my refreshing. David said, it was like being in a vice. The hand of God was heavy upon him day and night. And then he says, I acknowledged my sin, talking to God unto thee and mine iniquity have I not hid. And then the 51st Psalm, of course, gives in detail that I just read the confession that this man of God made after being away from God and committing awful sin, and he returned to God. David discovered how costly committing sin can become. There's three lessons, costly lessons, I think he gives us in this scripture tonight. You may want to just put them down and just look with us. and I want us to learn these three lessons that I see in this scripture when it comes to the business of our confession. David learned these lessons about committing sin. I think the best deterrent to, to, to sin is to realize how costly it is. I mean when a person is, is thinking about deliberately committing sin. If that person could realize that it's one of the most expensive things that they could ever do and how costly it is to commit sin, I repeat, I think it'd be one of the best deterrents to sin, to keep people out of committing sin, if they realize that they're not going to get away with it, that someone has to pay for sin. These three costly lessons, the first one is the high cost of committing sin. The second one is the high cost of confessing sin. And the third one is the high cost of cleansing sin. Now look, if you would please, just some verses, I just want us to spend a little time with this first one. But what it cost David when David committed this awful sin that's charged against him. David didn't get away with it. David tells us and opened his heart and, and confessing this sin to God, and God had him to put it down in one of the Psalms, and, and uh, one of the ways that you could tell that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired word of God is portions like this. If man had just been putting it, man would have left that page blank in his life. David would have never given that to us had not God inspired the word and gave that psalm for us tonight to, for as a deterrent when it comes to this business of sin. David said this sin affected so many different areas of his life. Look at verse 3. He said something happened to his eyes when he committed this sin. Verse number 3 says, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Never where David looked, he'd see his sin. Not the act of sin again, but David was saying, it's in my conscience. It's bothering me. Everywhere I turn, He's saying, my sin becomes apparent to me. It's affecting his eyes. The There's a day David could look up at the, at the heavens and he'd say, they declare the glory of God. David could look out to the hills and he'd say, from whence cometh my help? David could look out across the field as a shepherd and where the shepherd, as a shepherd boy who he'd been, and he'd be reminded of the goodness of God that's going to follow him all the days of his life. But now, David, after committing this sin, everywhere he looks, what's he see? He sees sin. We bring it up to this uh, modern-day terminology. Telephone rang, and David, right quick, his conscience would bother him. He'd think someone's found it out. He wouldn't let someone else perhaps answer the phone, or David'd see someone talking and whispering, and David's conscience would bother him. David said, it's ever before me, my sin is... Just before me, it's affected my eyes. He not only says it affected his eyes, but verse 6, he tells us that this sin, talking about the high cost of committing sin, David tells us that it affected his mind. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Now David's been doing some rather foolish things david has has made some decisions that was far from being wise david away from god and the sin that's that's affected him it affected his mind he's not capable or able to think rightly and so david well david had a man put to death david knew better david knew he couldn't get away with that david sent a man yonder to the battlefield and that man carried his own death warrant sealed and went there to Joab, David's commanding officer, and he read that warrant, and the the charge says, put him in the heat of the battle, and leave him there. Word came back some time later and came to the king and said, Uriah the Hittite is dead. Now David knew what would happen. That wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just uh, something uh, that, uh, that happened in the battle as, as just, uh, you know, things uh, going average in the battle. There was a God in heaven who knew that David conspired and intended, and David, when he wrote that death worn out, David said, you take it back. And uh, the, the word was, put him in the heat of the battle. And there was a God in heaven who saw what was in David's heart. Now, David knew better than that. David was God's man. David knew he couldn't cover sin. David knew he that covered sin shall not prosper, but are you listening to me? It's affected his mind. Some of the dumbest things people ever do is done sometimes by backsliders that's away from God, and they're not capable of making sound judgment is because sin, somehow, short circuits and they're not able to use good sense and good judgment. David said, it's before my eyes. David said it's affected my mind. Look at verse ten. David tells us it affects his. It affected his heart. Created me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a right spirit within me. The high cost of committing sin affects his eyes. It's ever before him on his conscience. It affects his mind, causes him to to, to act uh, in in a way that's. Afar far from being wise. And now here's the man who's had a warm heart. It's affected his heart, and he's crying out, Oh, God, would you give me a clean heart? Would you wash me from this defilement, this sin that's in my heart? It affected his spirit. Look at verse 10. He said, Would you renew a right spirit within me? Now, the, if you have a reference Bible, look in the center column, and you'll note that it says, for the, for the word renew there, you'll find that the right spirit rather says constant spirit. Really, it means steadfast. It affected his stability, his faithfulness. What is it that causes people? Sometimes uh, you've seen people that's, who are so faithful in God's house, and they wouldn't thought about missing a service, they wouldn't think about laying out Sunday night or the midweek service or many other activities of the church, and yet somehow it becomes rather easy for them to miss the service. It's when sin comes in a person's life, part of the high cost of committing sin is it affects a person's conscience, it affects their heart, it affects their mind, it affects their spirit. There is no steadfastness, and David saying, oh God, would you give me back that constant spirit, that right spirit, that steadfast spirit. And then verse 11 tells us it affected his fellowship, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 tells us it it affected his joy, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, uphold me with thy free spirit. He didn't say, give me back my salvation. He said, uh, uh, give me back the joy of thy salvation. He had lost his salvation. Sin doesn't cause a believer to lose their salvation. It causes a believer to lose the joy of their salvation and to lose the fellowship and the smile and the presence of God. And he's crying out, oh God, would you not take your spirit from me? You see, in David's day, the Holy Spirit did not indwell him as he does today. The Holy Spirit never leaves us today in the sense of his indwelling. We learned the other evening, those of you in the Thursday night service, that he has sealed us until the day that our bodies are redeemed. So this would not be appropriate prayer to, to pray today and to say, Lord, take not thy spirit from me, because he will never leave us. We grieve him, and then we lose what David lost, lost the joy he who had a song, he who was the one that, that, that God so used to refresh others, now he said, my moisture is like the drought of summer, and oh God, give me back the joy of your salvation. The high cost of committing sin. It affected his eyes, affected his mind, affected his ears. Verse 8, we, we didn't notice that verse, but notice what he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. David said, I don't hear what I used to hear. David couldn't hear the, 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 the joyful songs that was sung around the palace. David said, there's something that's happened to my hearing. I'm not able to hear as I one time heard. I visited a man not long ago. We was going over some of these truths. You know what he said to me, and if I called his name, two-thirds of people in this room would would know this man. He's such a useful servant of God, but God rescued him one time from a, a, a terrible backslidden condition. And we were just talking, and he's a joyful person. And when you see that person now, the joy of the Lord in his soul is reflected in his countenance. You know what he said to me uh, while he was away from God and he did commit a, a hideous sin and he didn't go ahead living in sin but he didn't come back to God for quite a while. And you know what he said to me with a, with a note of emotion in his voice and moist and tears around the corner of his eyes? You know what he said to me? Preacher, what I miss the most away from God? He said, I miss God's people. But he said, the one thing that I couldn't hardly endure was the joyless life that I was called upon to endure. And by nature and by temperament, he's just a happy person. But he said, through those months, and I called on him. He was not living in this area at that time. I made a trip when I was in his area and called on him. And I said to a member of the family who knew him, I said, I cannot believe he's the same person as he was when I referred to when he used to serve God with us. Why? Oh, he's the type of fellow could say a word and just sort of spark some joy in your life. He was a person, when you looked into his countenance, they was, I repeat, by nature, he said he was a joyous person, but he was filled with God's Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And old David, who was one who, who had the songs of Israel, called him the sweet singer of that people, David is crying out now and saying, Oh God, oh God, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Lord, don't take me out of your presence. Lord, give me back the joy of thy salvation. Restore it unto me. I'm saying there's a high cost tonight of committing sin. We live in an age when sin is glamorized and everywhere you look seem like that it's, it, it's made uh, uh, more enticing and uh, yet never, never show the end result of it. Riding down the road the other day with a brother that's in this building and they just put up a, a, a new advertisement of a certain brand of liquor. I said, isn't it strange they don't show the end product of that? Isn't it strange they don't take a broken home and, and little ragged muffin children, broken-hearted mother and wife? Isn't it strange they don't go downtown somewhere yonder in one of the missions where men, fallen broken men, have crawled in there hunting something to eat and a little place to lie down at night? Isn't it strange they don't take that and say right here is what the, the brewer's art does? This is the finish." No, it was a beautiful scene. I right, Listen to me. You're just about today, and those of you that's out in the marketplaces, you're just about looked upon as some, you know, misfit, some backwoods. I was in the area the other day, and I was talking to people who are officers in a church, Baptist church at that. They thought I was rather there, that I said liquor is wrong. I said liquor's wrong whether you drink it by the, uh, whether you have it by the the, the the glass or the dram, as the old timer said. I said, God us the liquor traffic. Oh, he was upset about it. He had a place of business that had a liquor license. He informed me quickly that he was a deacon at the First Baptist Church of that city. He had no conscience about it. I agree with what Sister Tumor said. Some of you didn't hear back there. Amen. Mom Tumor. Poor deacon. Are you listening to me? I'm simply saying tonight, when you turn your TV on, when you pick up the magazine, when you look in the newspaper, you'll find sin glamorized and you'll find sin being painted in a way, whether it's the liquor industry or whether it's some type of sexual immorality or whatever we're talking about tonight, you're going to find that the world and society is making it exceedingly easy to commit sin. And look upon you and listen carefully, young people, and look upon you in a way that you're some kind of misfit if you don't participate and fit in. You know what David's saying to us? I heard a person say one time they felt God was, maybe they didn't use that quite a blunt language as if God was wrong to put a story like that in the Bible, but they questioned it. They questioned as if, you know, a man after God's own heart, King David, and a man who walked with God, and a man who was used even after the sin. Their question was, wouldn't that be an encouragement for somebody to go commit those sins? I said, you haven't seen all that God put here. And David said, the sword never ever departed from my house. Grace of God will forgive us, but don't forget the government of God. And oftentimes, the government of God says, you're going to reap what you sow, even after my grace even forgives you. No, it's not given to us tonight as an incentive to say, well, David got forgiven. David, a man after God's own heart, God forgave him and God used him. So maybe sin's not so bad. High cost of committing sin affected his eyes, affected his mind, affected his heart, affected his fellowship, affected his spirit, affected his joy. Verse 15 says, it affected his testimony. O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. While David was in sin, wouldn't confess, David couldn't, he couldn't open his mouth in testimony or he couldn't open it in praise. David had locked jaw. David had sealed lips. He couldn't say a word for his Savior, for the Lord. But he's saying, oh God, if you'll do this for me, Lord, if you'll forgive me, you'll give me back that joy. Verse 13, he said, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. High cost of committing sin, David discovered that there's nothing funny about committing sin. I wouldn't be unkind in saying this, and that's not the intent. But are you listening to me? It may come across as if I'm putting someone down and being unkind. I don't mean it that way. My heart goes out even now as I think of the person again. But the person came to me for some counsel and some help, and among other things, the person said this. A thrill for a moment, she said. Just momentarily, she said. And I've paid for it. Seemingly already a lifetime. One moment, she said, in sin, a thrill for a moment and a lifetime of payment. I've never gotten away from that. She's forgiven. I don't think she's on a guilt trip. I don't think she's she's not dejected. I, I'm not around that person. That's in a past ministry. But the payment for a moment of pleasure, she said, is going to last me a lifetime. Oh, listen to me tonight. The most expensive thing in the world is sin. David discovered the high cost of committing sin. And then there's the high cost of confessing sin. Then the high cost of committing sin, there's nothing funny about committing sin. In the high cost of confessing sin, there's nothing shallow about confessing sin if it's real confession. Now, there is some so-called confessing going on that uh, is rather shallow. I said a moment ago that David learned the high cost not only of committing sin, but David learned the high cost of confessing sin, and David learned that real confession is not something shallow. For instance, a preacher who's on the radio, got a letter from a listener and said, Dear Dr. So-and-so, we appreciate your, your ministry. While I hear you on a certain station. And said, uh, I need to ask you a question. And said, I would uh, appreciate if you would respond quickly as you can. And he read this in, in my presence, was telling some of us preachers. And the letter went something like this. said, if I understand correctly, 1 John 1, 9 says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And she told a few days in the future she has the date already set, a weekend planned to spend with a male friend who, of course, is not her husband. She's a married woman. And already making plans for... That kind of behavior. And her question was, afterwards, uh, if, if wrong is committed, then my question is, can I accept 1 John 1, 9, and he says, if I confess, he'll forgive me? You say, surely. Someone, are you listening to me? I said there's some cheap, so-called confession It goes on. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we believers, don't miss it now, says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all AWF, all unrighteousness. Now that's true. Thank God for it. You Bible students are well aware that the word confess there, it doesn't mean just to use some, you know, some type of... uh, half-hearted uh, gib language when our hearts is not in it uh, of, of so-called confession they'll they'll sometimes confess like this lord if i've committed sin lord if we've done wrong now that's not bible confession are you listening to me Bible confession, when he says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, the word confession means to say the same thing that God says about it. It's not if. If God says it's sin, we are to admit that and agree with God and say, Lord, I sinned. And real confession doesn't, as the preacher said last night, it doesn't generalize and, and speculate. It just names the sin and it says, God, I told a lie. You say lying is wrong. I lied with God. It's right, it's I said here last week when when demonic pressure is on a person and satanic accusation and when the devil's just trying to accuse us, we just sort of, you know, we're he's never specific. He just tells you, well, you you're no good, you're sorry, and all that. But when the Holy Spirit convicts a, a Christian or even convicts a sinner, he'll convict the sinner to get saved. But when he convicts a Christian, do you know what he'll convict that Christian of? Of the specific sin that he's committed. Right. He won't have him guessing. He won't be saying, if I've sinned, Lord, Holy Spirit will say, and he'll zero in on you in the way, and he'll say, you told a lie. Amen. Are you rusted in your heart? Yes. Are you gossip? Are you have in I mean, the Holy Spirit, he he he's tender, but there's times he can just zero in, and the moment he zeroes in and puts his finger on something, and if you and I agree with God, and say, Lord, that's right, I told a lie. Lord, that's right, I'm full of envy. Lord, that's right, I've gossiped. You know what will happen? You can claim his forgiveness. Like that. But when we generalize and... When we fail to be specific and to name that thing and to agree with him, there is a cheap type of confession when it's not real confession. We just sort of half-heartedly, and David learned that there's a high cost of confessing, nothing shallow about it. A man has to have his heart in it, and when he confesses, and when he really repents, it'll show in his life there'll be a difference in a person's life if they truly repent. If a person gets saved, it changes their life, and if a believer repents of a sin, then that causes that person to abhor that sin. David said, there's nothing funny about committing it is a high cause. Nothing shallow about confessing it. David said, it'll cost you putting your heart in it. And he's crying out to God and saying, oh, God. Well, he said, Lord, if it was a sacrifice, I'd have brought that. That's not what you're demanding from from me, verse 16. Thou desirest not sacrifice, just something outward. Well, David was a wealthy man. He could have put anything on the altar He said, if that had been what you desire from me, I would have given that. But he said, the thing you're looking for is a broken heart, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God. That is a person that is crushed within over their sin, not someone that laughs about it, not someone write a preacher and say, I'm going to have an adulterous fling in a couple of weeks and, and I just want to know would 1 John 1, 9 fit there. That's almost blasphemy. I doubt if that person even knows the grace of God. I doubt if she has ever been saved. Because a saved person, I don't say they can't commit sin, but a saved person cannot just lightheartedly look up on sin and make provision for the flesh that way. Paul says we are not to do that after we're saved. The high cost of committing sin, David learned nothing funny about it. High cost of confessing sin, David learned there's nothing shallow about it. And third and final, he learned the the costly lesson, the high cost of cleansing sin. I think we see something in verse 7 that sort of indicates what I want to point out is the Lord helps me. Look what he says in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Now to most of us, that doesn't really say anything to us. Hyssop, David is talking about a cleansing where hyssop was used. And David has in mind the cleansing of the leper. Leprosy in the Bible is a type of sin. A leprous person is a defiled person. And David's been looking on his sin now as a, as a leprosy of the soul. And David has in mind, after he's saying, I want to tell you that sin was costly. It cost me, it affected me about every area of my life. Then my confession of it, I had to come with a broken heart and mean business with God. But David is saying, wait a minute, God did forgive me, but David was aware that there was a cost, a high cost. You recall, some of you Bible students will back on the book of Leviticus, if you I want to read it later. It's the 14th chapter. It was the cleansing of the leper. And when the leper was pronounced clean, there was a little ceremony they went through. And that leper was to bring to the priest. He was to come to the priest and he was to have this hyssop. It was a little, just a little tender uh, type of a, a weed that would grow and it was sort of a little spongy type thing. And they was very common in that day in that, that world. And they just, they'd gathered that and they took that hyssop. And uh, the leper would bring two birds to the high priest. And one of those birds he would take and would put that bird in an earthen vessel and he would kill that bird in the earthen vessel. He'd bring with those birds and that uh, clay vessel, he'd bring cedar wood and he'd bring scarlet. And they would take that over running water with a, a bird that had been killed, he'd cut the throat of the bird and uh, drop the, the bird into that, into that clay vessel like this. Take that wood... Take that scarlet and take that running water and run that water over it. Then he'd dip that hyssop into the blood of the dead bird. He'd put some of it on the cleansed priest. And then they'd take other and put on a live bird. And they'd take that bird and that priest in the presence of that, of that leper, the cleansed leper. He'd turn that live bird loose and that bird would soar out of sight into the heaven. Now those Old Testament sacrifices, all, every one of them pointed to the one that was to come, take away the sin of the world. Sometimes they used a lamb. Sometimes they used the the, the birds as this case. Sometimes it was a bullock. But every last one of them all pointed to a future date. And with the cleansing of that leper when that bird went into that earthen vessel and that one that died pictured the the, the slaying of the Lamb of God, the one to take away the sin of the world, and the blood on the live bird pictured then not only his death but his resurrection that would justify and free us. The priest then walked away and David having in mind that, oh God, I'm like a defiled leper before you, but take hyssop now and purge me and I'll be clean. Did you know the, the Lord Jesus Christ come, came to this earth and yonder at Bethlehem, placed his life as it were, into an earthen vessel. Our body is called an earthen vessel, says we have this treasure in this earthen vessel. And he came, and in that earthen vessel he was killed, and then gave, gave his life, laid down his life in death and then he soared back into the heavens as it were on the third day resurrected seated now yonder on high and it's the message of the gospel of jesus christ the death burial and resurrection that cleanses us tonight thank god for cleansing we sing about it testify about it preach about it teach about it we rejoice in it tonight but you know what i fear sometimes many of us do not really stop to realize the high cost of cleansing of our sins. Thank God that it's a free gift. Thank God it's for whosoever will. But like that bird that gave its life and like all the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament who gave their lives and picturing the time when the Son of God would give his life once and for all and shed his blood and his precious blood is what cleanses us tonight. And sin is the very thing that destroyed him Sin is the very thing that took him to the cross. Let me ask you this question in closing as we think about the high cost of committing sin, high cost of confessing sin, the high cost of cleansing for our sin. Can you look lightly upon that which put him on the cross? Can tonight you look with an attitude that's rather frivolous upon the very thing that nailed him there? Some of you heard me share this before I was in a meeting in the state of Michigan some time ago, it goes back now, oh, I think the first year that I was in evangelism this last time. Some of you may recall the, the story as I just mentioned it, but it was in the papers, it was in national news. And uh, I was right in that area where that took place, a little boy. Molested, more than that, mutilated his body. They found that little boy, and I, don't re- I do not recall the many pieces they found his body in. But they'd cut taken his fingers and cut his cut his little fingers in three or four pieces, cut his ears off, had his nose off, cut his body, just mutilated that body after being sexually molested by this pervert and uh, when the man was apprehended and arrested, they found the weapon that he used in fact he had it with him, still had the blood of that little boy on that weapon, took one of those army knives, what do they call it, machete, big old heavy knife. And he'd tuck that and just chop that little boy to pieces. I was in that area. They pointed out that family. I didn't meet the family, but I would. they pointed that family out to me. And uh, the preacher said something, and he, he said, just suppose we visited there. We went in, and they somehow have now obtain possession of that weapon that destroyed their little boy. He said, could you imagine if we went in and they said to us, here's the weapon, here's the brutal knife that took the life out of that little, what was he, five or six years old? Cut that little body to pieces. He said, could you imagine they would take that thing and polish it, place it in a conspicuous location where you'd see it, perhaps on the mantle, And they said, we're keeping the thing. Now, that's absurd. That's unthinkable. I mean, for a person to get a hold of the weapon that destroyed that precious love one and to polish it and to keep it. But then he said something that really registered with me, with a tear in his eye, a man who's close to our dear Lord. He said, that when we look lightly upon sin, preacher... As it were, we're polishing the weapon, the very thing that caused him to go yonder Calvary. And I thought, oh God, give us the right attitude towards sin. High cost of committing it. Nothing funny about that. High cost of confession sin. Nothing shallow about it. Oh, we can say something with our our lips when our heart's not in it. And David said, oh God, you're looking for heart business when it comes to confession. The high cost of cleansing sin. Nothing funny about committing it. Nothing shallow about confessing. And there's nothing cheap about cleansing our sin. It cost him his very life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, God's peoples in a moment of prayer.